You're listening to Monday Science Podcast, the show that brings you the latest in science, technology and health with your host, me, Dr. Bahija Rami Abraham. and welcome back to Monday Science. Happy Monday, happy Bank Holiday Monday for our listeners in the UK. Uh, Today we've got yet another exciting episode. I always feel like I say exciting or interesting quite often, but it's because I do actually find, um, uh, well, everything about the podcast exciting and interesting. So yeah, there we go. Okay, so let's kick off with the Monday Science Person of the Week. And also do let us know, I hope you are enjoying the Monday Science Person of the Week and also our new segment. Um, Do keep us informed of how you're feeling and, and give us feedback on um the new structure. And you can do that via email, info at mondayscience.podcast.com, or you can send us a DM on our social media. We're, we're on Instagram and Twitter. Um, okay, so the Monday Science Person of the Week goes to Sangeeta Chopra, and she's a scientist at the Indian Agriculture Research Institute in New Delhi, India. Uh, Sangeeta has a background in electrical power electronics engineering and has a doctorate in en- energy science and technology. Sangeeta's research um, works on developing evaporatively cooled structures for perishables, storage and for livestock comfort. Very interesting work that she does there. And so Sangeeta, in collaboration with scientists from Michigan State University, created an on-farm green energy refrigeration system, which allows farmers to minimise post-harvest loss, which is a big deal because Obviously, if you can minimise the post-harvest loss, then that's obviously going to um, save money and help um, not just the farmers, but also the community. So this is really, really big because, as I mentioned, it helps a very large community control when they can sell their produce as they don't have to rely on distress sales. So this is really cutting edge work. So congratulations to Dr. Sangeeta Chopra. So uh, in terms of the news, now in episode... 27 and also it's our recap it was in our recap episode uh episode 59 but this was the original episode episode 27 this was in honor of world diabetes day and i discussed the impact of covid19 and diabetes like the understanding at the time um and so in today's news researchers from king's college london um this is not a biased (laughs) i will just say it's not a biased um news extract so researchers from king's college london and monash university which is based in australia um they established the covid or covid diab registry last year which was to compile detailed reports of covid19 related diabetes in order to investigate whether covid19 can result in diabetes And so um, roughly um, around 350 clinicians have submitted reports to date. And this is reports on, you know, any case, case reports is what they're usually called, where they're giving like an overview of any interesting cases that they've seen, what they did, the key findings or the key observations. And so although other viral infections such as flu have previously been implicated in new cases of diabetes, and this is sort of the I think this is the main thing that people are trying to understand with COVID-19 in general. What is the impact of COVID-19, in particular with patients who were seemingly healthy beforehand? What are the what is the impact afterwards? So did what diseases and conditions do they develop? Um, one of the things is looking into is uh, diabetes. And so um a, metab- a metabolic disease researcher who's called Rabassa Loret, she stated 
that the magnitude of what we see with COVID-19 is above what we're used to. Well, uh, she believes it's highly probable that COVID-19 is triggering the disease, um, i.e. diabetes. This is very interesting. And I think we're going to see more on, um, you know, the impact of COVID-19 in the long term. Personally, I'm quite interested to see if there's any link. And if anybody knows, please let us know. But if there's any link between COVID-19 and, well, it might be too soon to tell, but COVID-19 and onset of dementia, because one, you know, some people have experienced symptoms of confusion, um, memory loss and things like that. So let's see, you know, I think as, as we're, as we're moving, can I say further into the pandemic? Yeah, I guess we're moving further into the pandemic and hopefully on our way out of the pandemic, there's going to be more research, more understanding of the impact of COVID-19 as well. Um, Okay, so on to today's episode. So this is an interesting episode with um, Mr. Ferhad Hussein, who is a chemistry teacher. And it's the first time having a teacher on the podcast, which which is good. But also this is uh, one of our episodes that is funded and supported by the Royal Society of Chemistry and very detailed interview on you know the impact of um you know chemistry in his life and and science education which was very enlightening but then also we talked about the impact of um covid-19 on education and specifically science education and there were some things that some insights that Ferhad was able to give that I it just felt different to what we're sort of hearing in the news so I hope you enjoy the episode um, let us know what you think okay so welcome back to Monday Science and today we have our first ever teacher on the podcast we have Mr Fahad Hussein hello Fahad. hi hi thank you so much for having me Perfect. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, So let's just kick things off by asking you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So I'm a science teacher. Um, I teach in a school um, in Essex um, and I have been teaching for around six years. So in the teaching profession for six years. Um, And so I've been born and brought up in London. Um, to Bangladeshi parents, myself, who migrated into the in the eighties um, to the UK, and that's just um, a bit about, about my um, background and what I do at the moment. Lovely, thank you for that. So, I've got I've gotten into this phase of asking people certain questions, a lot of the guests certain questions, um, and this is partly because, obviously, as you know, we are in a global pandemic and lockdown and a lot of people have used this time to get more familiar with music, with films, with books. So do you have a favorite song at this moment? Um, Not necessarily a favorite um, song, but I do like listening to conscious music. So music, sorry, with um, a focus um, and about issues sometimes. So whether it be politics, whether it be world affairs. So uh, that type of genre, or if we can call it that. Oh, nice. And do you have any particular artists that you listen to? Um, so a couple of artists maybe that go by the names of Low Key. Um, and there's an, another artist um, called um, Akala. And the music by these artists it's sometimes quite conscious and um, with the times uh, and where we are as society. So that's quite um, enjoyable sometimes to listen to. 
Yes, I do like Akala, actually. I've listened to a few of his, of his tracks. Um, and what about films, or if you can recommend a film or a book to our listeners? Um, so going back to um, Akala, um, he wrote a book, actually, called Natives. Um, and it's about race and class um, and how they're linked, and especially in the UK. So it's a fascinating read. It's really educational. Um, and it's one that I'd thoroughly recommend. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that. Um, and as you know, uh, this episode today is uh, funded and is part of our Royal Society of Chemistry Outreach Fund project. And so I guess the next fitting question is, what is chemistry to you? Right. Um, chemistry to me. So um, for me as an educator, someone that um, teaches chemistry to students between the ages of 11 and 18. Um, it's, a, it's everything I see, hear, smell, taste, touch, um, and all the chemical reactions involved. It's chemistry to me is trying to understand the world and then passing on this understanding to my students um, that I teach on a daily basis. So it's instilling that appreciation for matter, um, and the changes it can undergo and shape the world around us. So that's what really chemistry means to me, um, to me, uh, yeah, myself. That's amazing. Thank you. And that's, that just sounds like such a amazing outlook uh, for chemistry. And I think it's so interesting interviewing um, different people and asking that same question. And it's, it just shows the depth and breadth of, of chemistry and what it means to so many different people. Um, and so I'm interested in getting more um, into your thoughts on um, the intersection between science and education. So do you mind just talking about your journey into education and specifically science education and what made you decide to become a secondary school science teacher and now a secondary school chemistry teacher? Sure. Um, so my journey into education and science education really um, from my, my, when I was studying myself. Um, so I studied science at GCSE level. Um, and at the time, I didn't know what triple science was as a separate course. I had limited information about what was available. And I think that was quite common um, amongst um, education and teaching back then. Um, now, from GCSE onwards, I've, I went on to study science A-levels. Um, so I studied biology, I did chemistry too. Um, and other subjects I actually took alongside biology and chemistry were politics um, and uh, maths A-level too. Now, my um, direction towards um, these courses was, I think, pinpointed more by being from a Bangladeshi background, so family-wise, um, sciences were more preferred and we were just more directed in that way um, and because of the influence uh, towards uh, the sciences um, I went on to study I thought I wanted to study medicine actually um, and just because of the limited information I had um, it meant that I didn't really know what I wanted to do I went on to study biomedical science um, and I spent a, a long, long time around dentists, medics um, at university. So uh, in that science sphere still. Um, and then really upon completing my undergraduate, um, 
I was invited by email to attend a taster day in a school in South London, in Sidcup. And that would be my first exposure to teaching. So going from um, education and from, from university, really, directly. Um, so on when visiting for this um, taster day, really, that just kind of swayed me and um, planted that seed, really, in my head of, of teaching, maybe going into teaching as a real uh, possibility. And I never really looked back. So I applied did the training and um, six years on, um, here I am. That's that's absolutely amazing. And um, when you were talking about the difference between triple science and double science, because I I just remember I did triple science, I believe. And yeah, it was it's a it's interesting. You talked about how, you know, maybe that wasn't always communicated and explained to people. I just knew, oh, OK, I'm doing triple science. I didn't even know I didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. Um, and it's really is that still something is triple science? I, I only learned recently that um, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I only learned recently that the grades are no longer A, B, C, D when it comes to GCSEs, that it's now numbers. Is that true? No, indeed. Uh, that's been true for, I think, around three years now, maybe oh, four gosh. years. Um, yeah so uh, honestly many changes many changes but now schooling I really do feel it's come a long way yeah like, uh, to schooling when I went to school myself I feel schooling these days has gone a lot has improved so much there's more information everyone's more aware parents the, the students um there's more information out there and schools are doing more to get that information out there like teaching has come a long way I couldn't be more prouder of the profession amazing Amazing. And so are, is triple science and double science still a thing or is that is it different? What, what has changed in that area? Indeed. So it's still there. And um, it, I th I'm pretty sure it was there back then, too. But it's just the information we had access to. Right. Um, back then, in, our parents, too, we never really knew the difference. So I don't think many of us knew um, the difference back then. I do think schools do a lot more now. Um, to get that information across and it's getting across more too actually. Amazing and so what do you think um, differentiates science education from let's say subjects such as history or, or yeah any other subject really? Um, I do think that t education in different subjects varies significantly um, so you, you have subjects like you mentioned history or English and they tend to be quite subjective and the teaching of those subjects um, needs different strategies and techniques um, compared to teaching maths or sciences. Um, so I do think that teaching the um, different subjects, um, it does require different practices in order for it to work. And I do think that's because the subjects um, are different in terms of what's required. Um, now, with, this, with science, I've, I've found that students they come to see science as being like a different language um, and sometimes even a bigger language in the sense it's three languages in one. So biology, chemistry and physics. So they feel like there's it's not one subject, it's a three in one. Then there's maths involved in science at the moment. So 20 percent, 20 if I'm not mistaken, um, of an exam is maths, um, maths based. Um, of a biology exam or a chemistry exam or a, a physics exam. So they feel that it's already a harder subject to tackle than English or history. Wow, that's very interesting. And because um, that's actually one of the reasons why I was asking, you know, trying to differentiate between 
being a science teacher versus being a chemistry teacher? Because I'm guessing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but with the science you're teaching, I guess all of the science, and as you said, maybe maths is also included in there. And then with chemistry, it's just purely on the chemistry. Is that right? So um, it's just quite difficult and it can vary slightly, but generally speaking, um, and I think mainstream wise in most schools, um, you'll have science teachers and at year seven, year eight, year nine, um, and combined science in year 10, you'd have one science teacher that teaches you biology, chemistry, or physics. That's the typical traditional model. And um, you have your special, and then you have um, your specialist teacher, so biology specialist or chem chemistry specialist or physics specialist teaching the triple classes. Um, now those teachers might also teach year nine, so we'd be teaching all three sciences to the younger year anyway. So that's generally the format. Right, very interesting. And so I guess then I guess with within that sort of context, what is the process of translating sort of complex chemical mechanisms into something that is comprehensible for secondary school students? And that like the answer to that question is literally the art of teaching. It's literally about um, getting students involved, all your students involved, regardless um, of their level um, that they're working at. So um, teachers have strategies, develop strategies, um, research-based strategies too, proven to work um, in studies. Um, so you have these models and ways of thinking. So one of which is something called scaffolding. So you're putting the necessary support to help students to reach that point. Um, so it's about chunking. It's about making it all manageable. Um, so... Honestly, that question is the million dollar question in teaching and uh, we have answers to, we've got guidance towards, I mean, everyone slowly, schools are getting on board and they're employing these strategies that are research-based and research-backed, um, really. Wow, that's amazing. Scaffolding, I've, I've never heard of it. Um, so do you think then that with, I mean, this, these approaches, is there a risk of by like oversimplifying science or do you think that the there's still that the core of the fundamentals and the complexities are still taught and understood uh, with these various approaches? Um, definitely so I think it's all about appropriateness and I think that there's a time and place to be technical and advanced with science and chemistry um, and different stages in education require um, and appreciate different levels of student and so you need to just provide different levels of scaffolding and support um, to help them to make progress so I don't think we're necessarily oversimplifying but that it does need to be scaffolded to use the word again um, so that we can so it's appropriate and it's right and it's not too much too soon. I think that's a really amazing um, insight as well. And so what do you enjoy most about being a chemistry teacher? And I guess, okay, we'll start off with what do you enjoy the most? And then we'll talk about what do you enjoy the least? Sure, sure, sure. Um, with being a, a, a teacher and a chemistry teacher, a science teacher, um, I enjoy, and there's actually a difference teaching, let's say, biology to teaching chemistry. Um, so, for example, with chemistry, you'd be able to enjoy 
being able to do more experiments, more hands-on practicals um, with the students, with demonstrations, for them to get involved and actually collect results, collect the volume of a gas, um, react an acid with a, a different metal, for example. So um, they can actually um, see the chemistry and partake and actually collect results that they can observe compared to, let's say, biology or physics, while there are experiments for them to do. Um, for themselves and see firsthand. Um, I think with the chemistry, there is that wow factor. So really getting students involved in those experiences, knowing that 10 years down the line, it's going to be something they remember um, is probably what I enjoy most about being a chemistry teacher. Yeah, that's so interesting you say that. As you were talking, it was taking me back to... Um, well a long time ago my own sort of chemistry and and um chemistry lessons and science lessons and i think yeah what you were saying about with this with chemistry it did feel like you saw more things especially when uh you did like the flame test and remembering all which colors gave orange i think that's sodium is it and one gave which what what is the one that gave the red no not red sorry um green is it I can't remember the green flame test and uh, am I thinking of the flame or um, yeah green green flame test and all these different things and I think you just feel so engaged because I chemistry was actually my personal favorite topic at school um, and I do think yeah just being able to see things um, really made me feel more engaged with it but I, I guess I don't know if in biology they do um, dissections and things now I'm not sure if that's still a thing. Sorry, I'm like, I feel like I'm so dated with my knowledge of what goes on in school. No, um, a lot, a lot has happened, um, but a lot has also stayed the same. Right. So, um, and the practical experiments like the flame tests, definitely they're, they're powerful, right? For yeah. students to get involved in science, it's powerful. It's really, really powerful. Um, and in biology, you're totally right. We do do dissections and again, they literally love it. Well, you've got the um, core group that love it, the idea yeah. of being able to do these sections. Um, and then you also have a few that are a bit squeamish and they're the smell and they're put off by and they don't really um, want to get too stuck in. But um, no, definitely that's one thing about teaching, about education that is powerful and, can, and science teachers and chemistry teachers, we can use to draw our students in, our definitely. main stakeholders. Definitely. And so, yeah, what would you say you'd least enjoy in the role? Um, least I'd enjoy um, or uh, in the role I'd do anyway, um, I think it would be the admin part of the job. So the bureaucratic oh, part yes. Yes, um, that is um, just constantly increasing. Um, so mainly that element of it, not necessarily... Um, the, being in the classroom it's just all the added extra on the side the before the after yeah I, I think admin for most um, educators in regardless of if it's secondary or primary or higher education it's just it's a lot <laughs> it's, it's such a burden no. it's it's it, yeah. no indeed it really is it's is such um the bureaucratic part of it um the paperwork um it just adds so much onto the job that isn't necessarily or, you know, it's definitely not the most important part of the job. You know, the most important part of the job is being in front of the class of 30 students, young minds, shaping those minds and passing on knowledge. That's the most important part. 
But um, we, we all get drawn up in every job, I guess, with the uh, yeah. trail that needs to be done alongside it. Very, very true. Um, and so I get that. I guess moving on from that and sort of adding to that in a way, um, what are your thoughts and opinions on the current state of science education? Um, science education itself, I do think, is in a good place. It's a real. Um, it's come a long way, um, and there's movement towards um, a more standardised approach. So students receive a similar diet as possible. Um, so what they're taught um, and the exam boards assess um, at GCSE level, for example, they're broadly in line with each other. Um, and, you know, research and educational research specifically is coming down into education and filtering through to us um, practitioners. So, no, teaching, uh, teaching is in a good state and science education itself um, is in a good state too, more so. That's really good to know. Um, I'm not sure if you ever got a chance to watch Sir Ken Robinson, who unfortunately passed away uh, recently. He gave a very famous TED talk um, titled Do Schools Kill Creativity? And Sir Ken Robinson was a creativity expert and he challenged the way we um, educate or wanted to challenge the way we educate our children and championing um, a radical rethink of how school systems cultivate creativity and acknowledge multiple types of intelligence. So what are your thoughts on this? And is the issue of adding creativity and uh, well, I guess, what are your thoughts on this and the issue of adding creativity in our current education system? Or perhaps now there is more creativity in, in our education system? So a couple of years ago, actually, um, now I completed or started my MA in education. Um, and I remember um, the professor showing us the video. Um, so Sir Ken Robinson's video, um, uh, the TED Talk. Now, uh, um, definitely it was, it was an amazing um, speech and piece on um, Sir Ken's thoughts on teaching. Um, and, and it was really well put and really interesting. Um, now, as a teacher, however, an educator and a person in the profession, um, having, you know, not, not taught necessarily for many, many, many years, but nevertheless, with a, a decent amount of experience still, I would disagree. Um, Sir Ken um, was of the opinion schools killed children's innate creative talent. Um, I don't think I agree. I think that creativity um, is encouraged in schools through the performing arts, through the expressive arts. Um, and I think that teachers passing on um, creativity themselves through the subject um, is there, you know, it's, these professions are, um, are thriving in, in the UK, in the Western world. Um, and I, I, so I would disagree with Sir Ken's claim um, that creativity stifled in education. I really would. I wouldn't agree. Wow. Okay. No, that's very interesting. And so I guess moving on from that, what are your thoughts on the use of arts in science education? Um, so different schools generally, right, have um, different models or different approaches. So you've got schools that adopt different styles are, uh, and are slightly more disciplinarian. You've got styles or you've got schools, sorry, that try to lead by um, a model of direct instruction. So it's a lot of teacher-led teaching. 
um, versus or as opposed to student-led teaching ways, models. Um, so while I do think creativity um, is very, very important in teaching methods um, and how we pass on knowledge to our students, um, it's easy to get distracted and think, oh, you have to be very creative in your teaching. Um, there's recently been studies um, shown that when cre very creative methods are used, like, um, uh, you know, show-stopping moves, experiments, just, just to draw the learner in, what ends up happening is the students remember how it was taught rather than what was taught. And of course, that's a problem. So we've, un we've been under the false impression and false idea that if we can engage our students by doing whiz-bang lessons and fireworks lessons, that we'd they'd remember the learning more for when they need to in an exam, when actually it's the opposite. So, and it's the case that no, what happens is they remember the firework and not necessarily the chemistry involved um, during the burning of that firework, fire, um, firework in the combustion of it. So, um, yeah, so creativity is definitely important and the arts are definitely important, um, but you do have to just bear that in mind really when you are teaching something important, you'd want to focus on it rather than distract from it with something show stopping. And, uh, yeah, I think I understand that as well. And um, so do you then think that we're doing, I say we, <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, a general we, are we doing a good job at exciting students in regards to education? Because I, I think your point of it's good to excite them, but then the follow through has to be what have they learned? So how do you then balance that sort of getting the students excited as well as engaged and understanding the science and the work? um so see that's our that's literally our job in a nutshell probably so it's um engaging our learners engaging our students doing what we can um within the parameters to excite them to make them fall in love with learning lo um, fall in love with learning science fall in love with learning um chemistry so that's um our job that hook that um connect and um, whether it be through um exciting practicals to launch lessons whether it be um, uh, other show stopping moments or you know um, maybe using uh, music or so a song when they come in linking it to a movie showing a trailer many many things you can use many many things you can do um, so I do think we are doing a good job and it is an important part of the job um, exciting our students and I do think they're doing a very good job teachers are aware that that's needed while having to teach a subject Lovely. So now let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is COVID-19 and lockdown. How, is, how has that been for you? Um, how has it been for all of us, right? And I guess we're still um, in the lockdown, yeah. um, even easing um, slightly. Um, and we, we are edging closer to the end and the finish line. But um, oh, no, it really has been a strange one, I guess, you know, um, unprecedented, just you know, never in our lifetimes and not for a hundred years has it happened. Um, but no, on a personal level, COVID-19 and the lockdown has given me, in all honesty, the chance to just reset a little, take a chill, just um, and just sit back for a bit um, and focus more on the important things. 
um, because literally, you know, never had the world just paused like that for so long. And especially during the first lockdown, it was so sudden, you know, um, and you literally just had so many hours in your day, um, uh, more than you could maybe sometimes think to do with at that point. Um, so no, really, it just gave me the chance to breathe and take life one step at a time. I agree. I've, I I definitely agree that this is, you know, the only time really that I think everybody has had to pause, stop, um, and and everything. So for I guess in the with regards to teaching, how have you found switching to online teaching? Um, at this stage, of course, we're back into live face to face teaching. But just um before we went back, so we've been back um since the eighth of March. Um, in teaching so before then when it was online learning and virtual learning through google meet or microsoft teams um i feel like we'd gotten to groups with online and virtual teaching so we'd developed it to a you know a very good standard and level that we'd be um ha we were happy with um and that's because it had come such a long way in such a short space amount of time um you know, the switch, so a big job like that in getting the devices out there, um, getting our students on board, the technical issues, getting them signed in, knowing, teaching them how to use it, um, was, uh, you know, going from there to where we are now, it's a massive, massive, massive step that we've taken, massive step. Um, and so it's been, yeah, a monumental progress and, you know, the speed in which it's happened and everyone getting everyone on board um, has been um, great. So, no, it's been it's been a big effort. Yeah, I mean, we had to do, you know, obviously do the switch and everything. And I don't think people appreciate how much of an effort it is to uh, and how much work comes into switching from face-to-face -face teaching to online teaching. And I know in particular for those in secondary school in particular, you've had a lot of kind of back and forth, start and stop, start and stop, which I'm sure has added to the challenge as well. Um, and so I guess with that, how do you feel the lockdown in particular might have impacted secondary school students? And um, there's also, you know, is there going to be this sort of long-term consequence of them, quote unquote, missing out on education and peer interactions? Um, so a lot of the talk has been around that loss of learning. And it's true, you know, there's no denying the fact that students the first time around probably lost nearly six months. This time around, they probably lost around three months um, of education. So no, you know, there's no denying that there has been a loss of learning and work will need to be done to address this. Um, I do feel we as teachers think that's less of a problem. Um, and what's more of a problem with the time away that our students have had has been the damage done to the culture that schools foster. Um, and what I mean by that is students have forgotten routines and um, teaching has become that much harder for the teacher now as a result. Um, so we're less able to, at the moment, focus on the teaching of the science, the chemistry, or having to more focus on um, classroom rules, routines, getting students um, to fall into those so that they can learn. Because without those, it's harder to get learning across and students inevitably um, learn less. Um, I think that students have been affected in their mindset. They feel like the DA has been wasted. What's the point? 
Um, and so they feel less inclined to do as they were before. Um, so no, no, I do think what, yes, learning and the loss of learnings been massive, but we're concerned with um, other things rather right. than that. Right. No, that's really good insight because I think there's been a lot of, as I said, you know, as you said, there's been a lot of talk about all these different things. And I think hearing uh, for somebody such like such as yourself, like what exactly the real challenges are is very important. And so um, if I just come back to the online teaching, so do you based on your experience, um, how do you feel online teaching during the during this time um, has transformed science education? And do you think it's added any benefit? Um. I do feel online teaching has transformed education, science education. I do think I do think that. Um, and it's really encouraged us as a profession to take to technology more than otherwise we had or would have. Um, now, of course, the, even then there's variation and some schools have taken more to technology than others. But on the whole, generally speaking, um, a lot of us are using technology more than we used to. Um, and I think that's been, that's a good thing. Um, and it's improved our game, so to speak. Um, so yeah, science education specifically has been transformed, but even teaching as a whole has um, transformed in how we teach, our blended approach to teaching and learning now. So games, their technology involved um, where possible, where it complements um, what we're teaching and how we're teaching it. So no, it's been a, a positive addition and um, to our repertoire and what we've got um, access to. That's amazing. And so let's go outside of, uh, well, I say outside, yeah, outside of your core work as a teacher. So I know you've got an Instagram page called Gram Science. What's that about? Um, so that's literally uh, an Instagram page I opened recently um, during this second lockdown, actually. So um, a couple of months ago. So, so it's still quite new and it's basically, um, a page where I share my learning materials from my lessons um, on the page. So it's just um, in the hope that it provides someone revision material, students revision material basically to practice with, questions to answer um, from their school. So something, you know, so relevant, so applicable to thousands of students across the country because it's exactly what's being taught in secondary schools live, and you know, the day before. Um, so it can help them complete their homework, prepare for exams. And it's just, yeah, a page where I share um, parts of my day-to-day -day teaching. Amazing. Just to confirm, is it Gram Science School? Yes, Gram indeed. Science. I think, uh, yeah. Good. That's good. So, yeah, definitely it's a really good platform. Lots of resources um, on there and even some motivation stuff. I like the post that you did on the 18th of March, the power of scaffolding. That's really, really cool. Um, so yeah, and how are you finding that as a, do you like, how are you finding that as a extra activity during this time? Um, I'm enjoying really just um, putting information out there, being able to connect with um, people, with learners, educators, people that are following. Um, and yeah, I hope it helps um young people and that's really the reason i'm uh, i've got the page set up just so i can um give them um, another source to turn to for revision prior to mock exams or gcse exams or end of topic tests for example that's amazing um and we've now come to the end of the episode um and i'm just going to ask you some yeah i guess i'm con concluding 
comment. So what does chemistry mean to you? Um, chemistry to me um, means experience and understanding um, the world, basically, and then passing on the ability to understand the world to my students. That's absolutely amazing and quite profound. Um, and so, yeah, I guess from everything that we've talked about, what would you say or, yeah, what would you say are the key take-home messages? Key take-home messages would be that science education is just more important than ever before. The world has seen firsthand the need for scientists, doctors, nurses, um, and many others, and the role these professions play in our lives. Um, so that would definitely be a key, key take-home message. Otherwise, um, the shortage in recruitment and retention in teaching and these sectors. Um, so I really think we need to encourage more young people to pursue science um, at higher education. Um, and really, as a, a person um, from inner London areas, born and brought up and of Bangladeshi origin, I think it's important that those of us that do have a platform we speak out to show young students, the next generation of teachers, the teachers and doctors of tomorrow, that people like them, um, of their background, do work in these fields and that it is possible. Um, so that gives them hope really and serving to be that role model. Thanks for joining us this week on the Monday Science Podcast. Make sure to visit our website. Uh, details are in the episode description where you can subscribe to make sure that you never miss the show. Uh, so catch up with you next week. Bye.